This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where each week we bring you conversations and lectures from our public programs live events, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. In this episode, improviser and writer Molly Grace talks with Julia Plevin, the creator of The Forest Bathing Club, about Molly's book, How to Not Always Be Working. This event was recorded on October 25th, 2018, in front of a live audience in San Francisco. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or visit our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. Marley, we are so glad you are here tonight. On this is the week that your book came out, yeah? Yes, my book came out on Tuesday, the first day of Scorpio season. Perfect timing. Yeah. Um, so I found myself reading it and enjoying it, and then all of a sudden, like truth bombs would drop and my whole world would shatter. So it's super potent. Um, so let's get started. This book started as a zine that you started that you typed on your typewriter. What was the creative impulse as you first started working on it? Yeah, so in 2015, I was living in Michigan and I was running a space that was an artist residency and a gallery called Have Company. And I sort of decided to integrate every single part of my life into the business. So I kept picking up new hobbies and then I was like, how can I just make them a part of the business? And I, I made the workbook for a workshop that I taught with Jenny Williams at Case for Making in the Outer Sunset here in San Francisco. So I came to California from Michigan, taught that workshop and made the zine and then it just sort of like became its own little world that went out from there. And yeah, that that is how the zine concept of how to not always be working was born. And when did you realize that it was meant to be more than a zine? That is a beautiful story. And Kate is here and so I'm, I'm like twisting this way um so yeah I like I like this story because I think part of the book and part of how I talk to other people about art is you don't always have to like chase the thing I think if you just keep showing up for your work the rest sort of happens so after I taught the workshop at Case for Making um a woman named Kate <laughs> walked in and uh, found the zine and tweeted it. And I don't really understand how to use Twitter and I don't really use Twitter. Um, a lot of respect to anyone who does use Twitter and understands it. Um, but so it was like a couple months later that I saw Kate tweeted it. And it was clear that Kate was someone who worked in the industry of books. I reached out to her. We started working on it together it went to a publisher, it became a book that is now in the world. So it was sort of this nice um, organic, like, oh, this person, like I hadn't really been thinking like, it should be a book. It, I was sort of happy with it in its zine form. Um, and then when someone in that world sort of was, could see it that way, I was like, oh, I could see myself expanding on that, so yeah. Cool. And um don't know if anyone else has had the opportunity to read the book yet, but what you share is at once deeply personal mm. and also a guide for others. So mm. how do you navigate sharing your life as an example? Yeah, I was talking to a mentor of mine the other day and sort of was like facing a little bit of maybe imposter syndrome or, you know, that feeling before a thing comes into the world that you make. and a lot of people are going to see it. And she I, she was sort of joking a little bit, but she was like, you know, you really made a career out of talking to yourself. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that feels embarrassing. And she was like, no, I think people relate to that in some ways. You know, I didn't make a how-to book in hopes of um, giving a definitive guide to how to not always be working. And I write a lot about, you know, it's my experience in the world as a white, queer, cis, able-bodied person, you know, middle-class person, you know, it's not, it's not 
my experience is not everyone else's, but I found that in teaching the workshop, pretty much people on every level of something differing of those experiences was still struggling. Um, And so I think when I keep the book pretty much to my perspective, other people can either be like, that part is weird or it doesn't resonate with me, but they can still sort of pull their own pieces of their own story out of it. And yeah, I, I think it's the only way I know how um, to, to teach or to talk is, is to do it that way. So, And so the book is called How Not to Always Be Working. And this is something that you wrote for yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think I wrote it. It was funny. I had the ex- I got to have the experience. If any of you are not interested in reading books, but like listening to books, it is an audio book, and I had the experience of narrating it myself. And I remember reading the book and being like, "Wow, I really need this book." Still, you know, I didn't necessarily like write the book and then was like, "All right, everybody." I did it, you know, like I literally launched a five week online course two weeks ago at the same time as putting the book out. Like I'm, I love, like I love working, but I, you know, did that and watched like friendships struggle and a relationship struggle. And so I'm, I guess I'm constantly seeing how I still need the book and still need my own advice. And I think I think that's where, again, like other people are sort of like, oh, that's cool. That girl's giving herself advice. Maybe I can use some of it and give myself advice. And the book, I, I hope, also is sort of um, challenges the reader t- to say, like, if you don't like this part, by all means, make up your own. So, yeah. Cool. So let's dive into this relationship between creativity and radical self-care. How are they connected in general? Yeah, I love, um, so let's see. (laughs) My creative practice is, so my background is in dance. That's what I have a BFA in. And I also make quilts and, and write. And a cu- it was actually just after I had made How to Not Always Be Working, I started this daily Instagram project where I documented myself dancing every day. And it still exists. It's called Personal Practice. If you want to watch over 700 videos of me dancing by myself, um, it's really okay if you don't want to. Um, and I. Th- I didn't know clearly at the time. I was also married at the time, living in Michigan at the time. And personal practice, sort of that first year, documents you know me having an art practice every day, and that was also like then also documents someone who's like going through a divorce and going through selling everything they own and going through you know closing their business and moving uh, to California. And so for me, I often talk about, you know, dance is my, uh, is my medium, just like if you're a graphic designer or a painter and, but it also committing to doing it every day saved my life. And I, I talk about that a little bit in the book, but more sort of in like other public spheres is that it's part of my visible story that I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. And so and I've been sober since 2011, but that time, like going through such a tremendously difficult time, that's why I say radical. It wasn't like bath bombs and face masks, which are also amazing, but um, it was more like lots of 12 step meetings and calling people and like trying to eat vegetables and remembering water is a thing that you put in your body. And you know, it was really the like radical side of self care and, and I was just getting obsessed with my work. I was like, well, I'm gonna just ignore my life that's crumbling and be obsessed with my work, which some pretty good work maybe was born in that way. Um, but at the same time, everything else was sort of crumbling. So that's sort of where like creativity and the radical self-care part meet. At least that's the beginning of the meeting point, so. Amazing. And um, how does your like relationship, you know, how? 
how does your relationship with the mystery of life or like this spirit flow through your work? Yeah, I love I love that question. I had the um, chance to take Liz Miliarelli's Herbal Mystery School this year in Mendocino and went up there one weekend a month. And I love and we learned about a different a different plant every month. And that was actually a like very specific practice in how to not always be working for me. I don't think I've really in the last like six years, I haven't, other than in, nope, dancing is part of my work. Okay, so yes, yeah, so this is why the book's really <laughs> helpful for people like me. Um, the, the Herbal Mystery School was really the first time I'd like taken a workshop or a class that had like nothing to do with my work itself. And so, I was careful, like I tried to not really like document my experience in the class. I'm pretty sure I did at some point. Um, and again, there's like, there's always this crossover. Liz was a resident at my space in Michigan. I sell her potions in my space in Inverness. Um, but it was still like the act of me taking the class, you know, had nothing to do with generating income for myself or my business. It was simply like, Marley doesn't know anything about plants and I should start understanding them. So just for myself. And so that is a part of the mystery to me a little bit was like actually understanding my relationship to earth, which I also feel like the way that I was parented and being an addict and, um, just maybe being a Gemini, like we can go, you know, we can pull from all the threads here. I don't, it wasn't until I was maybe like 29 that I had a therapist ask me if I'd, when the last time I put my feet in dirt was. And I was like, what? <laughs> my feet are in sand a lot, like at the beach, but I don't really, I was feeling pretty like disconnected from the earth and she was just sort of encouraged me to like return to the earth a little bit. So uh, tuning, tuning into the mystery feels sort of new for me in some ways. Mm -hmm. But, um, I also love the mystery. I love not knowing works better for me that way. So. And, uh, you do talk a little bit about herb, herbs and teas in your book. So it got in, got into your work. Yeah, that was in, I do know a little bit about plants. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, yeah, I, that's a, another big part of my, yeah, I do actually talk about, um, one of Liz's potions in the book that's called devotion, which she actually made after we were together at the residency in Michigan. And, and that's helpful for me when I'm like doing morning pages and engaging in a morning routine and practice. But yeah, I'm a fan of, of making herbal infusions. And I generally every week make oat straw, nettle, comfrey, linden flower, and red clover. And they are big tonics for my nervous system as someone who has anxiety. And so, yeah, I talk about that in the book. It, it sort of helps me li be able to like hear my body when it's telling me it needs rest. So, yeah. And, you know, a lot of this book is about like what is work and what isn't work in a time in our existence when it blurs. Can you tell us a little bit about about that. Yeah, I mean, it was really funny to just go off on the tangent about Herbal Mystery School, and then you tell me all the things in the book that are about herbs and mystery. Um, I think that there's, yeah, again, the whole book is sort of just pulling on, again, I think as someone who's really public on the internet and on this podcast, you know, it's like I don't have any, there's just no separation for, um, you know, my personal experience of being alive is what I'm integrating into my work. So if I'm awake, I maybe just am working, you know, I think, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think there's, um, I included some, some other friends in the book and this poet, Angel Nafis wrote a beautiful poem and talks about being a poet and her, 
job as a poet is to notice everything. And so, you know, if she's awake, she's, you know, in her practice of noticing. And so the, the lines are blurred and that's where the book sort of spins on itself a little. It's like, there's no, there's really no true answer other than maybe finding something like a hobby or a way to not, to not be working. And so, and I think that's where there's a lot of like self-defining that happens. For me, I think there's a joke somewhere in there that's like, this book could have been one page that says, turn your phone off, go outside and don't tell anyone you did it. And wow, I'm just gonna keep talking about Liz. But then Liz was like, that's my job. You know, like as an herbalist, she's like, I'm always, you know, I'm always outside without my phone. And so, you know, again, there's like so, for each person, there's going to be a, whatever your job is or your work is or your creative practices. And for me, they're all the same and is finding just like, even if it's the littlest thing, I was watching some television last night and that's like truly one of my favorite ways to not work. So I think, yeah, as the, as the layers happen, it's okay that there's gray area. It's okay if you it's been nice seeing them on the, them, people starting to post about them on the internet. And I'm loving people um, who already seem to be upset by the title. They're like, but I love my work. Um, like, I don't want to stop. And I'm like, you don't have to stop. Like, you know, the book, when you open the book, it's like, if you want to just keep working all the time and you love it and you're not getting brown, it's not ruining your relationships by all means, like, please keep working. <laughs> um, but I think the it's, yeah, it's maybe not for people who don't feel burnt out or like it's blurring blurry for them it's blurry for me so yeah and do you think it's a lot of that is the smartphone the iPhone ah uh, yes the smartphone um a lot there's a lot in the book about the smartphone there's a lot in the book about apps about the time I got a flip phone and but still had my old iPhone as like a Wi-Fi device. So then I just had two gadgets. It was just like a lot was kind of happening at that time. Um, so I, yes, I use the photo and video sharing social networking app Instagram. And I think a lot of people use it. And it's, I'm a big fan of Catherine Price's book, How to Break Up With Your Phone. Which is another, I love it because it's like, it's really not about breaking up with your phone. It's about having, you know, a healthy relationship with your phone. But she really explains how, um, like an app like Instagram or Twitter, where a social media app where you have a feed that is generated by you going like this is working exactly how a slot machine works and so it sends these little dopamine hits to your brain and you aren't even actually taking in information but it just feels so good to keep going like this um and i feel so good i mean you're losing <laughs> your brain cells and part of your life it goes away but um yeah i think it's i mean it's i love talking about this this week because of course this week as this new thing that i made comes into the world of course i'm like want to see what the internet thinks. Um, and so far the internet's fine. It's kind of like a lot of other days in my life where some people seem cranky about what I do. Other people are really into it. Um, and then I just, the world's still spinning. So I think that for me, the off button is really important with the smartphone and like the put, I live in a one room cabin, so I struggle a little bit with finding another room to put it in. Um, but you know, I, when I've had to do work in my house before, I've truly just like put it in the car. I talk about um, my friend Caroline Paquita, who's an amazing publisher, gave me the phone box idea mm -hmm. and where you can like really have a box, you can decorate it. Um, because I, that's the other part of Catherine Price's book is, is um, and what I kind of felt having a flip phone briefly was like, I, I, I do want to celebrate technology. You know, it gave me a career and a life and a way to really connect with people who don't live where I live. And so I kind of like the phone box is like its own little sacred. I can be like, I love you phone and then put it in its box and then take it out later. So 
Do you have a phone box? Yeah, I do have a phone box. Is beautiful? No, no. It's just a wooden box. I got it at Joanne Fabrics once. Yeah. <laughs> I've been thinking about decorating. I was like, I should really decorate it and talk, <laughs> tell people about it. And are you really able to stick to the like 10 p.m., 10 a.m., no phone? Yeah, definitely not. No. Um, yeah, I, you know, we were talking just before about, sorry, spoiler alert, maybe I'll get to this. Um, but we were, we were talking about habits and, um, yeah, I, I, have a, I have a sort of, you know, structured morning routine of journaling in the morning and making my coffee and doing my little daily readings. And I often get off track with those things. And I like the idea that, you know, discipline, um, I think I'm sorry to not know where this came from, whoever said it originally, but the word discipline is like, you can think of it as being a disciple to oneself. And I like that a lot and think about the word devotion a lot. And yeah, I, it's not a question of if I'll get off track, but when. And so, yeah, I think a lot of restarting is about not yelling at yourself. Like it's about having like a gentle voice in your head. In the book, I talk about a voice in my head that I named Roger. Um, and he's just, he's an asshole. He's not nice. You know, he, he sort of like comes up when I, tr I try to start over anything. And he's like, you did, you like to do this all the time. Like why even try again? Um, so I went as far as to hire and invent a new voice named Gloria. Um, she's not real just to be clear. Um, <laughs> I feel like this is a great college to somebody afterwards can explain to me like who are Roger and Gloria um so Gloria somebody's like I'm ready I'm ready like we got we got you after this we're gonna really we're gonna break this down um but yeah Gloria can kind of be the new voice that's like you know Roger like thank you for stopping by like we appreciate your input but like that's not really helpful so maybe if you could go we're just gonna start the morning pages again so i feel like it's been really about like retraining how i speak to myself when i get off track because mm. you know i can beat myself up and then i don't usually i can't restart as easily so yeah i really appreciate that the whole tone of the book is that you know there's so many books where it's like this is what works for me and now i'm perfect and you know and you're you're super honest and even it feels like and if you like have actually never turned off your phone for three hours it's okay you know I'm like oh, okay great yeah yeah I think that I yeah there's parts of the book that are a little startling to me only because some of it is like I feel like some of the maybe suggestions I give or things I talk about when I was writing it I they were really integrated and now some of them don't feel as part of my regular life and I think would maybe benefit me to sort of reintegrate them in some ways. But yeah, I don't have any interest in, I mean, again, the book, like the, what happened in between the zine and the book was teaching it as a workshop in many different cities, many different times all around the country. And so, and so I was making worksheets and hearing what everyone else was dealing with. So it's a, you know, it's a little bit of, it's a lot of me, but it's also a little bit of what, what the kind of like shared experience seemed to be. And yeah. And I think that's where like it would cross, like a lot of people who would take my workshop weren't also full-time artists like a lot of them did have you know different part-time jobs or full-time jobs but they were you know choosing to obsess over them in some way that was either distracting them from their creative practice or from their life in general so how do you imagine our relationship to work changing in the future mm. well yeah you know i've been thinking the word work feels really charged and I think it's become more charged in between when I wrote the zine and wrote the book in the shift in the in our administration 
And I think that we have an incredible amount of work to do. And I hope that we work really hard <laughs> right now. Um, and so there's part of me that's like, I hope what changes or what shifts or what, what I perceive to already be shifting is how do our creative practices or small businesses or our professional work be not just, you know, and the book is not about self-care for the self, but self-care for the collective. And yeah, I think it's really hard. I, th I mean, we live in capitalism and we live under, you know, a patriarchal fascist government. And I think that we, you know, run by, you know, mostly old cis straight white men. And that's, you know, that is where we live, but we get to see what different ways of carving out space can be in work. And I've gotten to see that from so many different people. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's my hope that we, you know, overthrow it all and everything's magical again one day, but I think, or not magical again one day, it's magical again someday. Um, but I think that, yeah, that's, that's sort of my hope is that there's like more ease and comfort. I have a lot of, I struggle a lot with like experiencing joy and letting myself feel joy as if I don't deserve it or maybe other people deserve it more. And I, another book that I read that I really loved this year was this book called Emotional Currency by Kate Levinson. And it's about our relationship with money. And, you know, she talks about it can be hard to be struggling with your relationship with money when you can visibly see or can you know experience are experiencing poverty everywhere but if that you know you self keep self sabotaging yourself you can't actually be available to those who are in poverty and need it so that's her conversation about money but that sort of integrates back into like how to not always be working is not about like figuring out your four hour work week or your $300,000 course launch. Although if you can figure out either of those things, um, I hope you do <laughs> maybe, but, um, it's about how to focus on your work and keep working so that other people can hopefully feel more ease in their own lives. So. You know, I think this, it's, the piece of self-care and when you said like it's not self-care for yourself but self-care for the collective how does that relate yeah i think that um if we're all burnt out we're in, we can't help each other it's kind of that simple <laughs> um yeah i think that for those of us who can rest it's important to be able to lift those up who cannot I like that. This is my, this is my motion. <laughs> Throw the life raft in. Um, and then there's this, there's this, I have a belief that, you know, there's something actually really healing in doing creative work. Mm. And you even talk about that when you talk about knitting was a hobby that was healing, but then it became your work. And um, what do you make of this progression? You know, you, when you have this hobby that heals, that's away from work and then it becomes work. Um, yeah, what, like, what do you do then? Yeah, I've had a ritual for years of going to the beach every Monday, but I share on Instagram every Monday that it's Beach Monday. And so it very quickly became like, is Beach Monday actually, like, it became not sacred, but it also f has been impactful for other people to see, like, oh, that's a way that I can have a weekly ritual. Um, but yeah, knitting was sort of like really the reason that the zine was born was I was knitting and was like, I'm just going to order so much yarn and sell it at my store. And then I did. And I was like, I can't believe I have to sell all of this now. And I can't believe this is my job. This was, ter this was a terrible idea. Um, and it really didn't go well. Like people really, <laughs> it didn't like, it didn't, the pivot wasn't quite right. Like. Uh, yeah, it's, um, and it was, it, yeah, it was kind of like the one thing left for me knitting was the one thing that I just didn't try to make money off of doing and then, and then did. So yeah, I try to always be careful with that. I have been, um, surfing 
I'll call it that. I've been on a surfboard in the ocean, awesome. going at waves. Awesome. Okay. What, where? I'm not standing. We're not going to say it here. You know, secret towns. Secret. Can't publish okay. them. Yeah. yeah. Um, signs taken down. You know, I'll tell anybody afterwards who wants to know, but not for the recording. Um, the elders is you know the whole thing. Um, anyways, uh, the waves. Oh, but basically after time three, I was like. I'm writing a memoir about surfing. I was like, <laughs> I'm, I get it. Like, and it is just, you know, there, those are the lines that I'm like, always about to cross is like, Oh, this thing, like now I'm going to really, you know, and I do like swimming is a huge part of my life. And I write about swimming in the book, but it's, it's the gray area. I think for me, it's also like sometimes I just need to take breaks from sharing about certain parts of my life. Like sometimes I talk about swimming a lot and sometimes I'm like, I don't need to tell really anybody I've been swimming. That can be for me. So I think it's also about just choosing like, okay, maybe I want to keep this thing sacred for a little while. So, yeah. And, um, so much. So, <laughs> So would you say that sacred means that you're not sharing about it? Hmm, that's a great that's a great question. I mean, I certainly share many sacred things in my life. I like to say I like to pin the word sacred and precious next to each other. Like when people stay in my house when I'm not there, I always say everything is sacred, nothing is precious. Cause I have a lot of fun things, I think, like little gadget, you know, ga I don't I don't any gadgets. Don't know why I said that. I don't know what I was picturing when I did that either. I have, you know, dice, dried lavender, more things like that. I've been really into playing um, Farkle. I've actually never told the internet that I play Farkle. You know, like that's a thing. Maybe that's my moment. Although in the book it does say playing games is how I don't work. Um, but I really never share my game life online. I've never thought about that. Like I've never posted a picture of me playing dominoes or hot dice slash cosmic wimp out. Um, what was the question? <laughs> so does sacred mean you're not sharing? Sacred, it? right, thank you. Um, no, <laughs> I think, well, again, I think that's like part of the like flow is like if something feels good to not share, then maybe, or like, I think I sometimes think of my like intentions around sharing, um, has been helpful for me and not in not working. Um, I have like a friend who, uh, I was like visiting my partner in LA and have many friends who live in LA, many of whom I collaborate with, or they were residents in my space, or we talk, you know, we write together. And I, so an example would be like, if I was just hanging out with them, even if I was like in their studio, I would maybe just, um, I would just kind of like pause to be like, I don't necessarily need to tell the world I'm like hanging out with Sarah right now. You know, like I can maybe just hang out with Sarah, not like Sarah Godestiner, the author of the Many Moons Workbooks. You know what I mean? It's like your friends and my friends specifically tend to hold big space in many different creative communities and are incredibly inspiring to me. But I also like to remember that they are just my friends who, you know, eat and sleep and and walk and just do person things. Um, and so I think like seeing them and treating them as such like that kind of feels like a way to be a little more sacred about things. But no, I think you can share share things and they can still be sacred, but I like to keep maybe private is the right word. I feel like a very unprivate person, so but yeah, maybe I could pick some new things to keep private. I told the world I surfed. I mean, I already messed up, you know. <laughs> surfed. <laughs> With all of this blur between what's work and what's not work do you think rituals are more important now than before yeah and i also think that it was so funny when you just said that and i was the first thing that came to my mind um was doing morning pages 
from Julia Cameron's The Artist Way. And that's a big part of like when I work one-on-one with clients and when I'm teaching and when I'm sharing, like I talk about morning pages all the time. Like talking about morning pages is 100% a part of my work. Doing morning pages is not a part of my work. And so I think that there's sort of like, those are intersections too where certain parts of the thing can be work and certain parts of the thing are maybe not work. Um, yeah, but I think that any sort of, yeah, ritual for me, I mean, again, like when I was documenting myself, personal practice, the Instagram feed where I document myself dancing kind of has never really felt like a job. Like it's never felt like work in that way. That's another great spiral of the book is like, is it work? Is my work my job? Is my job my work? Um, you know, there's plenty of work that I do that's not paid. There's work that I do that is paid. Personal practice, like dancing, has never felt like when I document myself dancing, post it to the masses, I never feel like I'm working. But the reality is that those people who watch those videos take my dance classes, they buy my books, they listen to my podcasts, they, you know, they engage with me in a creative way. Way. So even though the act of documenting myself dancing doesn't specifically generate income, it doesn't feel like work to me, it's is still my work. And it and it's a ritual. I do it every day. So <laughs> it yeah, it's so cool. This is I think what we're all going through and you're just like living it, you know, like on some all do experiencing this on some level and you're just like shining the light on it Mm. for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like being a light shiner or like a permission giver. I think those are roles that I sort of fall into naturally. And I don't mind because I'm like, I'm going to shine the light on it, but but I'm like here with you. You know, I'm like shining it. It's like a two-sided flashlight. I just invented that. (laughs) So... So we have morning pages. We have surfing. Do you have any other <laughs> surfing? <laughs> My friends are going to be so mad at me. <laughs> Do you have any other rituals that you're loving right now? Let's see. Um, cooking feels good to me right now. And I'm a person who like, I'm a late in life under per- person who understands cooking. And, you know, I never really like I never really learned to cook. And then in college, I always lived in co-ops and I always had like different tasks, like being the president and then other people and cleaning the downstairs half bathroom. Um, but then other, other people were generally like the chefs. And so I just, and then like right out of college, I always had partners who were really good at cooking and just didn't think I was, or maybe I just like, I had a lot of like kitchen intimidation. So now that I live alone, I really had to be like, all right, I have to figure this out. Um, and I live right across the street from a farm stand. So I try, that's been a good ritual for me is to truly be like, ah, cutting vegetables. I remember telling when I was writing the book, I remember telling my dad once I was like telling him about some of the things I was writing about that like weren't working or something and I think I said something about like cooking and drinking water and he responded you know you have to do both of those just to stay alive right <laughs> and I was like uh, yeah yes I do under you know I like I think that's another part of the spirals like and and I've actually heard a few people be like I don't really need that part of the book um is where there's just these like really basic self-care suggestions that people I think some people have maybe figured out like a decade earlier than me so maybe my next book I'll have it figured out a little more in terms of eating regularly but yeah cooking has been a ritual um I love I love to walk walking is important to me swimming is important to me so yeah I think being outside and yeah do you so cooking we're hope in water drinking we're hoping you're doing every day um are there like do you have a set schedule you're like this is like one two three or is it more like what's in flow what you feel drawn to do at any given time um i don't have a set schedule i've never had a set schedule and that has been both um really amazing and really challenging for me. I mean, that's part of my like defiance issues, I think a little bit. Um, 
I think I suggest in the book that people could find that helpful if they wanted to. And definitely like a few of my contributors, Sarah Schulweiss, who's here, Jacqueline Suskin, who's a poet, definitely have like a lot of benefits to being like, this is how I make a schedule for myself. And this really works for me. And like having an admin day or having like time off day. Um, I think maybe some people might expect that that's a lot of what is in the, in the book where I'm just more like, good luck, everybody. Um, I hope we all figure this out. But I think that for me, and this is like where, you know, some of it is I could probably benefit from having some more structure, but I'm a little bit like more new age than the schedule some days. Like I'm really looking at like Venus is in retrograde right now. I'm on day 24 of my cycle. The moon was fully, you know, I'm like really kind of going off that some of the time. Most of the book was always written on a first quarter moon. So it's like after the new moon, when the light is returning, we're just like days that I wasn't, I wasn't really planning it yet, but like I started noticing that the few months in a row that I was writing the book, that those were the days that I would sit down. It was just like, and it was, it was also felt very, um, most of the work that I do, I, I do think that I, Marley Grace Cook Parrot, that's my secret last name. You guys can know it. Um, as a human person, does do the work that I do, but I also, especially when I'm writing in that way and even like reading back some of my writing, I'm like, I for sure didn't write this. Um, but I did because definitely my fingers on the keyboard, definitely my Google document that was turned in. Um, but it feels channeled feels like a little pretty deep new age, but, um, I'll, I'll say, I'll say it. Um, so yeah. And I think, and that's how personal practice always felt as a project too. It wasn't like, um, it wasn't, yeah. Every time I feel when I like look at it, I'm like, Oh, that's my body. I recognize that it's my body, but it feels very much like, um, you know, another project that came to me and I just caught it. Yeah. And and put it out. So beautiful. Thanks. Yeah, that um I love when you talk about the new age schedule, you know, because he <laughs> like let's talk more about that because he said Great. that a schedule had to be like yeah. nine to five or you know, days of the week. Like yeah. what are Well, it's fun it, I guess there there's like a little bit of painful irony in it because like that is part of why I have the problem of how to not always be working because I'm just like always working because I'm like, it's, it's then easy for me in the opposite way to like never rest because like every day I have a pressure on myself to be working, not, not smarter, but harder kind of thing. So, and I also recognize that like not everyone has the, and I think this is, you know, part of the book too, is like, not everyone has the privilege to, you know, work on that kind of schedule. But I think that it is my hope that like, even if you're listening to this podcast, which is free to listen to, that maybe you can start to think, even if you're working 60 hours a week at a job or you have a boss, you can start to notice like, oh, that's interesting. Like I never thought about certain parts of planets and the moon are this way at certain times. Like what if, what would it look like if I paid attention to that? Even just for me, it's also about like, you know, I'll be on a deadline for something and won't have the option to do whatever I want. And I can start to feel really uncomfortable and I can look at certain par parts about my body or the world around me or the news or whatever's triggering or, what's happening in the season and be like, Oh, that's some, that's some information that I can take in that gives me a little more context about why I'm maybe experiencing what I'm experiencing. Um, and yeah, again, in the book, Jacqueline, who's a poet talks about her like very strict rule where she turns her phone off at 10 PM and then turns it back on at 10 AM. And there's plenty of people who are like, I, love looking at my phone from eight to 10. That's the best time for me to look at my phone. So again, it's like the hope for the book is that you can find your own daily ideal that works for you. I'm also really into human design. Is anybody here into human design? Yes. Love it. I'm a manifester. 
Okay. <laughs> um, anyways, I'm not about to sit up here and teach you all about human design because that is not a part of my human design. Um, but it's it is truly a new age format um, that is that this person channeled, and it's a mix of astrology and the I Ching and some other things, and basically. It makes me laugh a little bit only because it really shows us like how different each of our personalities and sort of like soul contracts are with our human bodies that we truly all need something so, 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 so different and are all on the planet to do very different things and to hold very different spaces for each other. So I will not teach us too much more about human design, but Google it. I'm a generator. Uh, so, <laughs> so you also mentioned the daily ideal, which you talk about in the book. Too. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So Jacqueline is a beautiful part of this story. Also, the book is dedicated to Jacqueline. Um, and Jacqueline was doing her have company residency when I saw Kate's tweet tweet and I was like oh my god like should I email her and I was like no I shouldn't like it's too intense and Jacqueline was like email her now and I was like okay um so we have Jacqueline to thank too but um Jacqueline is an amazing poet and Jacqueline is like a Jacqueline travels with a travel altar and has I think maybe the most intense true prayer practice of anyone I've ever met. Um, she just slept at my house maybe a month ago and like, you know, sleeping on my floor and I like look over in the morning and there's the altar is open. The candle is lit. Like, you know, she really, really sticks to it every, every single day. And so she has, um, in her home, at her desk, like this big bulletin board in front of it that has, you know, sort of ideas that she's working on and different things. And the, I saw the daily ideal up there one day and she has sort of like weekly ideals monthly, you know, and some of it is about going into, you know, sort of for her, like, what, what do I want to do every day? Work, play, rest, water, food, um, different hours. And she really lets it shift. Like the last time I was in LA and saw her, she kind of had like, it seemed like some newer work hours that were working better for her. But I, and I think that's another thing. And, um, is, you know, like if you want to shift it, I'm, I'm maybe giving myself this advice right now. I think this is a little bit borrowed from Sarah also, but, um, is this like, if like change it as much as you want, but maybe then try sticking to that for a little while. And that's something I feel like I see Jacqueline do a lot. So I'm talking to myself again about my new age schedule. I'm like, maybe just try a schedule and then just stick to, but I, yeah, I, it's hard for me. So. <laughs> so when you give advice to yourself, like, where is that, you know, like, do you feel like you, like, where is that coming from? I'm like, anybody else? <laughs> um, when I give advice to myself, I, you know, I, I, I guess it's from trial and error for the most part. Um, and I think there's a chapter or, um, yeah, there's a lot of parts of the book that are about not messing up. And I went to Google, there is no messing up once. And Google images popped up with a picture of me cutting the pattern to the dress I wore to my wedding shower. And I'm not married to that person anymore. And I was like, wow, there is no messing up. Okay. Like, you know, it was kind of like this very strange meta moment where I was like, wow, that's the image that Google is. Cause I think I like had it in a blog post titled, there is no messing up, uh, you know, but that was what like came up years later, Googling, like, I wonder what happens. Um, well, what were we talking about? Yeah, so, you know, you talk about, like, you give advice to yourself Yes, thank you, thank you, thank yeah. you, thank you. The giving myself advice, yeah, and I also, like, seek a lot of help. Like, I often have, like, many people that I trade with, work with, pay to talk to, whether it's traditional therapy or, you know, intuitive psychic counseling or mentors or business coaches or 
you know, my editor, my agent, like they're, I'm always, I've, Marley does, I'm never doing anything alone. You know, I have like a huge team of people around me. And so I think my advice is also a mix of like, what do I feel for myself, from myself? What am I, you know, kind of drawing from, from the universe and who's sort of like on my team at the same time. So, yeah. And for the audience here and those listening on the podcast, like, you know, if Marley, Marley's advice, what, like, what are some simple rituals that we can all begin to incorporate or, you know, like, how would we go about living some of what you write about? Yeah. I mean, I think that's also where there's not a, like a right or a wrong way. I think a lot of my rituals are born from things that I do like doing. You know, I think if you, are finding that you like I will go through phases where like morning pages feel really really frustrating to me and I really don't want to do them and then I can kind of check in and be like okay is that sort of that defiance again or self-sabotage um and then sometimes it feels really good to try to push through and just do them anyways I'm realizing that not everyone might know what morning oh yeah pages yeah is. thank you yeah. thank you so morning pages are journaling three full pages of writing every morning, not as a craft, but just as a free write. Thank you. From Julia Cameron's The Artist Way. Um, and so, yeah, I've, t I've, and so I think for me, I try to like replace it with something else, you know, that maybe isn't the phone for me, you know, it's like, okay, well, if I don't want to do morning pages, maybe I'm going to stretch every morning. Maybe I'm going to go for a walk every morning. And I've had a lot of people say that there's been times in my life too, where going straight to morning pages, AKA straight to like my brain thinking about things has not felt correct. It's felt more correct to be in like more of an embodied non-thinking state or like a meditative state. And so I think, yeah, morning rituals, some people need five hours, some people need 20 minutes. Like I think that's another thing where it's just figuring out what works. And then when you hate it, trying it a little bit more and then when you don't hate it, trying it a little bit more. You know, it's like, you can just, I think, keep puzzle piece, rearranging it. Um, that's where the human design piece comes in a little too. I was reading recently about that, like each different kind should eat in really different ways. I haven't actually read how I'm supposed to be eating. Maybe it's great that I hardly know how to roast vegetables. I don't know. Um, but yeah. And so again, I think that's where like, there's so many different things to learn about yourself and with all of it, with building rituals, if that's new for you, I think it's back to like the gentle voice. It's like, don't with all of this, I think that's like maybe the, any like self discovery is yeah. How do we speak to ourselves in like an inquisitive and curious way instead of the, like, you should have this figured out by now way. So, yeah. And so, but you would, you know, recommend some kind of ways to start to discover, to inquire within or. or. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I recommend inquiring within. Yeah. I mean, again, I think there's really, I think, you know, again, we're living and I talk about this in the world, like we're living in a time and there's a lot of different things that keep certain people from having access to maybe what people in this room or people listening maybe have more access to, whether it's because of your race or your class or your sexuality um, or your, your any many different things. But I think that even, I mean, I was like raised in like DIY, free school, all ages music venues, zine culture. So I'm lucky that those spaces were a lot of um, free non-monetary exchanges. And that's still how I like to work with other people. And so I think that finding someone that you can trade with or that you can ask questions for, looking for sliding scale, of a service that maybe speaks to you or someone who's learning and needs to practice and you can train that way. Um, yeah, I, I sometimes I dated someone once who 
suggested I stop buying self-help books and try to read fiction. And I did appreciate that suggestion and have not only not read a fiction book since then, I wrote a self-help book. So, um, you know, (laughs) but it's like, I think that's like that suggestion, which I really liked. And now I'm like, I should really read a fiction book. Um, is just sort of, like I think sometimes it's easy for me to get too inquisitive and not just and that's I think part of how to not always be working it's like my life is like when I was running Have Company and was interviewing each artist for my podcast it was like my life was like asking questions about like what are you thinking about what are your rituals what is your work and always asking myself that and always reading what other people were thinking about and so I think it's my hope with this book a little bit that it's like, I'm going to just ask you to look at what is happening around you and not maybe teach you how to, how to, how to do it. Yeah. It's funny. I was interviewed for something recently that was like part of a how to series. And I was like, why did you ask me? And she was like, what? And I was like, why did you ask me like to be in the hat? And she was like, well, your book is called how to <laughs> not always be working. I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. I don't actually explain it. <laughs> I mean, I do kind of, but, um, you know, I explained how it works for me. I was just so caught off guard. I was like, wow, I'm in a how to series and couldn't figure out why. And then it was like, <laughs> Oh, right. The book, how to, I understand now. Um, so yeah. You know, your book is out this week. What is your, you mentioned this a little bit, what is your dream for as this book takes on a life of its own and gets out there? What is your biggest hope for it? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's really, I talk a little bit about, um, there's this book, The Fourfold Way, and I talk a little bit about it in the in the book, but by Angela Sarian. And in the book, there's these, she's talking about the four archetypes of, the warrior, the visionary, the healer, and the teacher. And the four rules that go with them are show up, pay attention, tell the truth, and don't be attached to the results. And that's my dance mentors, which are four women that call themselves the architects. They borrow a lot of concepts from that book and shared that with me and I try to share that with people and so there's many parts of it being in the world that I feel really unattached to the outcome and it's just kind of out there now for and so it will be it will be what it will be but I've already in the it's like three days of existing seen I think maybe it was my fear that like not many people would understand it or people who were actually like way more successful than me would really understand it. And then maybe I would even feel isolated from it in a way because I am currently like in a time in my career where I'm like working really hard and kind of can't stop working. And I've already seen people share their experience with the book who are in like couldn't be in more different places in their lives. And so, you know, people who are just like, I'm broke, I'm sad, I'm struggling, and I needed this book today. And people who are like seven figure architects who like are living the dream, who are like, I can't stop working. Um, and, and some, and, and people who I'm friends with and collaborate with, like I'm really already seeing that it has a lot not maybe not for everyone but for like a range and maybe the shared thing that the readers are feeling is sort of this hope that we can afford rest no matter what like i shared publicly in my newsletter how much money I had this year and, you know, was able to swing back in a, in a different way. But it's like, I, you know, even as my own boss have had many different waves of what my income is and what my mental health looks like. And I've still needed to remember that I have to rest because for me again, like as someone who like used to almost, you know, who was drinking themselves to death seven and a half years ago, you know, I don't, I don't want to die today. I hope that most of you don't want to die today. And so it is 
a radical and important act for me to take care of myself because if I don't take care of myself, I, you know, could could drink and then could die and then can't be available to the much greater work that is to be done in our world right now. And so I think that is my hope is that we are all more available to our own selves so that we can be more available to the radical work that needs to be done right now. That's my hope. You guys in? You feel that? Good. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Julia. You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs. Audio production was supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at ciis.edu slash podcast.